All right. Uh, now to the conversation that I promised with award-winning writer, producer, and showrunner Anthony Sparks uh, about the Hollywood Writers Guild strike, the first Hollywood strike of any kind in 15 years. Certain shows have already begun to shut down. So what are the consequences and repercussions of the writer's strike on the stuff that we'd like to watch? Dr. Anthony Sparks joins us right now to tell us all that we need to know. Anthony Sparks, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you, Tavis? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm delighted to talk to you. Glad to have you on. I, I reached out to a few folk yesterday. They said, who should I talk to about this? Uh, and to a person, they all said, call Dr. Anthony Sparks. The first person that told me that was my friend, Ren Brown. Uh, Ren said, Tavis, call oh, Anthony you. Sparks. He will, uh, he'll, 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 uh, he'll, he'll be the guy you want to talk to. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you can make time for us today uh, for a few minutes here um, in this half hour to talk about the strike. Uh, we all know that it's, it's huge news, of course, here in Hollywood and for that matter around the world because everybody depends on you writers uh, to write the stuff yes. that these actors uh, perform. Uh, that uh, entertains all the rest of us. Let me just start with this. How did the uh, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, uh, come to the decision to go on strike in the first place? Um, thank you for that, and, and thank you for just, in as you uh, were just saying, sort of underlining the fundamental issue, which is that it all starts with writers. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be something that um, the corporations seem to have forgotten. And so how it came to this moment is that the business has changed. Uh, it was a business, uh, speaking about TV right now specifically, that was based in broadcast television and the model of 22 episodes per season. Um, or something like that. Um, the MBA, that's the minimum basic agreement, the contract that writers, the, that the Writers Guild has with the studios, is designed around that model. Well, that model has shifted now into a streaming model where you have a lot less episodes, um, you have uh, a lot, the, the old uh, way that they would count residual payments for reruns and things like that. All of that has changed and changed rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take a look at that. And because now what you have are writers who um, go through all the slings and arrows that it takes to become a success as in TV and film, and you become a success now, and success as a TV writer and film writer used to mean that you got to make a living, a dependable living for the time that you were working. Mm -hmm. Now, success in TV and film writing has been disaggregated from being able to make a living. So what is success if you're not able to make a living? And that is because of the shifting to the streaming model of lesser episodes of, of, of almost no residual payments at all, mm -hmm. um, actually. And so it's become, it's, it's made, it has made a tough business an impossible business mm. for writers. Yeah. So what, what specifically then? I, I, hear, I hear the answer to the question I posed. Uh, it's getting tougher to make a living uh, because of all the streaming, et cetera. Um, so you can't stop technology uh, from uh, right. <laughs> from coming forward, as we say around here. Yeah. So, so what then does the WGA want for its writers? It wants for us to be able to have a fair share of the success that we create. Mm -hmm. Because... Even though technology has shifted and we've moved to streaming, the corporations haven't stopped making money. Mm -hmm. But what they're doing is using the loopholes and an old, out-of-date uh, agreement to push down and eliminate, in some cases, payments to writers. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is technology has advanced. We can't turn back the clock. We know that. 
But this contract is out of date. And so what you're doing is you're making writers, writers can no longer, are having a much harder time making a career. Now we're gig workers is mm-hmm. what the plan seems to be. Mm-hmm. That does not work. This business is too hard to get in, too hard to stay in, uh, too hard to find success for you to find success, and you're being treated like a gig worker. So we acknowledge that times have changed. Therefore, we're saying our contract needs to change because you're not making less money. You're making more money, in fact, mm-hmm. talking about the corporation. And they're, and, they're, and they're making more money, just, just so that I'm clear and the audience is clear. They're making more money because all these old shows are now streaming in places like Hulu and Netflix and beyond. And the, 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 the companies that own the rights to these projects are making more money because of streaming, but the writers are not being compensated yeah. equally or fairly. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying, that there are all sorts of gaps in our agreement, loopholes in our agreement, some uh, which we saw coming. And, and, you know, when we went on strike in 2007, 2008, it was to get coverage of television and films being played on the Internet. That was a novel idea then. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out we were pretty prescient in terms of, of doing that, but no one saw the explosion of what uh, streaming has become. Mm-hmm. We renegotiate our contracts every three years, uh, the WGA and the AMPTP. So this is time. So we do regular renegotiations. This is a renegotiation uh, that has sort of been kicked down the, the, the can was sort of kicked down the road a bit because of the pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. So what you have is six plus years of, of uh, something that has needed to be addressed for at least six years, if not longer than that, that now we're saying we have to address this because now we're at an existential crisis for the existence of TV writers and film writers to be able to make a living doing this. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense when the corporations are making more money than ever. Yeah. Nope, I hear you. No, I hear you loud. I hear you loud and clear on that point. Um, When we come forward, I want to just interrogate a bit uh, your backstory as a black man who's done quite well in this business as a writer. You mentioned earlier that it's it's a difficult business to get in, uh, to stay in, to survive in. I I heard your comment, and I want to just talk about how you got in and how you stayed in. Uh, Dr. Anthony Sparks is an award-winning television writer, producer, and showrunner with a a two-decade-plus career in this television business, over 30 years in the arts. His credits as an executive producer and or showrunner and head writer include Bel Air on Peacock, Mike Tyson on Hulu, six seasons of Queen Sugar on OWN, uh, the OWN Network. Um, Additional TV credits include The Blacklist on NBC, Undercovers with J.J. Abrams, Lincoln Heights, and a great deal more. So this brother has been in the business for a while now and has done quite well. Uh, And you hear his point loud and clear about the fact that he and other writers now are having a difficult time staying in and surviving in uh, while the corporations are getting paid more and more. Writers are being paid less and less. It ain't right. It ain't fair. Hence the strike. We'll talk more about it with Anthony Sparks when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Anthony Sparks, uh, tell me a bit about your backstory here, sir. I mentioned some of your credits, uh, just a few. There are many. uh, But as a black man. Uh, this ain't easy. Uh, we talk all the time. I have over the course of my 30 plus year career about the lack of black writers in these writers rooms. And yet somehow you broke through. Uh, I, I hear why you're on the, uh, on the picket line with your fellow writers in the WGA, but tell me a quick bit about your, about your backstory and how you, how you made your way into the writers room as a brother. 
Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, everything you say is true. Like I'm a Southside kid from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, who that's where I start, you know, uh, in a little, little brick house on the very, very far South side of Chicago. Um, but I was blessed and fortunate to do well in school. And that started to open doors for me, uh, both academically and artistically. So I began as an actor who, you know, trained out here at USC in the school of dramatic arts. And I then made my way to New York, and I was a stage actor, and I was making a living for about 10 years as a stage actor. But when I started to try to transition into TV and film, I started running into this interesting phenomenon where I had casting directors, mostly white casting directors, telling me that I was very talented, but that I did not exist. And they didn't know what to do with me. Uh, and what they meant by that was they would say, you don't seem like you're from the South side of Chicago. And so I, you know, what, you know, <laughs> you're just, you're, you're out of the box. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now imagine yeah. you're being told this, you're being told this, you're in your twenties and you're being told, Hey, um, you know, you seem like a, a lovely person, but, uh, we don't have a place for young black men to be lovely people in TV and film. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of a of a, a very early, you know, quarter life crisis where I went, well, if I don't find a way into this story, if I don't write myself into the narrative, I'm not going to be here very long. Mm-hmm. I was always a writer in addition to a performer in in school and used to win awards and stuff like that. And I was like, wait a minute, I've got this other talent that I think I need to start cultivating. And that was when the idea of writing for TV mm. became a thought. Yeah. I, I, I started at that time, there weren't many books. I started reading about it and literally teaching myself how to write TV uh, until such a point where I could uh, enter and compete and win for fellowships, such as like the Warner Brothers Writing Fellowship, the ABC Disney Writers Program Fellowship, um, things like that. So I just started writing plays while I was performing uh, at night, I was writing plays in the daytime. Eventually, that caught the attention of a scout at NBC in New York. They said, have you ever thought of writing TV? I said, yes, I have. <laughs> 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 and then quickly went to work yeah. on figuring that out. And eventually, that led me to come back to Los Angeles. This Now I'm a young man. I'm married. Um, to make that transition into television. And so my story is, is really a guy who just put their nose down and just kept doing it and getting better and better, getting some help and some good teachers along the way. And finally that door opened, you know, for me 20 years ago this month, in fact, actually was when I got my first job. It's a great honor to have you on in the, in the anniversary month of your, of your getting that, uh, that gig. Uh, When we come forward in our remaining moments with Dr. Anthony Sparks, I want to ask him two questions. One, what his experience has been overall how he has found it being a black man, uh, a rare black man in these writers' rooms here in Hollywood. And finally, what he thinks the future holds for writers and the industry writ large in the coming weeks and months if this strike goes on for a while, as did the last one. We'll get that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. You are listening to Dr. Anthony Sparks on KBLA Talk 1580, a watering writer, uh, producer, 
showrunner who I'm honored to have on in this hour. Got about four and a half minutes left, Dr. Sparks. Let me ask you two questions. I'll get out of your sure. way. Uh, the first question is, how okay. would you, we could spend hours, I'm sure, on this one question, but uh, <laughs> all, all, all things considered, how would you describe the experience, the experience that is, of being a black man in a Hollywood writer's room? Uh, it ain't for the faint of heart, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I figured as much, I figured as much, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it takes, um, first of all, it's forever a learning experience, you know. We have to remember that as recently as 30 years ago, there was sort of this unwritten rule that black writers didn't take drama specifically, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And that if you were a black television writer, you were going to have to work in a comedy room. So really... Um, you know, I'm not quite the first pioneer. I would never claim that, but I definitely come right behind the first set of group of pioneers who opened those doors, the Kathleen McGee Andersons of the world, mm-hmm. uh, the Judy McCreary's of the world, um, people like that, um, who uh, were the Charles Hollands of the world, who were uh, the first to go through those doors. Um, therefore, um, when you are a black writer in these rooms, a black male writer, specifically, you're doing a lot more than working. You're having to, to, to work to educate the people around you. Mm-hmm. You're having to work to find a way to get them comfortable so that they can receive your ideas. Um, it's, it's a lot of work that doesn't always have to do with the actual work of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be exhausting, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the conversation culturally has moved a little bit forward in the last few years. So there are things that were, you know, done to me or said to me 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago that, you know, wouldn't pass muster now, at yeah. least not openly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I've had people tell me I'm too black. Yeah. You know? And and, um, and and not like, and not black enough as we discussed earlier, <laughs> you know. Right. So yeah. that was funny when yeah. I was performing. I wasn't black enough. When yeah. I'm writing. I'm too black. Too now. black. You know, yeah. Which is it, y'all? Get the story. Straight. Yeah. Pick a side. Yeah. Pick a side. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me close. Let me close. I got ninety seconds. Let me close with this. I hear your point. Pick a side. Uh, in ninety seconds, um, what does the future hold for writers and the industry writ large in the coming weeks and months if this writers guild strike goes on? I think we as writers are under no illusions that we're in for an easy time right now. Mm-hmm. We know this is a tough fight. We're not, this is just not a renegotiation. This is a reset that we're asking for mm. in terms of how we are compensated, how we are respected. And it is frankly a fight that we must win. We must win. Mm. Um, or writing for TV and film as a profession ceases to exist um, as, it, as, a, as, yeah. as a profession and it becomes just a gig. No. So it, 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 there's no telling how long it's going to go. Yeah. But uh, everyone that I speak to, we're sort of getting ready to dig in. Yep. I hear your point. Um, the stakes are high here. And I hear the, the, the final point you made, which is that this is more than just a renegotiation. It is a reset. I take that point uh, loud and clear because uh, of what you said earlier. Uh, if the if the reason for this in part is because of the way that the technology has changed and everything is streaming now, 
and we have not had a chance uh, contractually uh, to make sure that riders are compensated fairly and keep up with technology, which moves like the speed of light, as we all know, uh, then you're right. It's yep. not just a renegotiation. It is a reset. The stakes are high, and I wish you and the fellow riders all the best. Uh, as a union guy, I wish you all the best uh, in the fight ahead. Dr. Anthony Sparks, award-winning television writer, producer, and thank showrunner, you. thank you for your time, sir. All the best to you. Thank you, Tavis. Uh, always a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Our th-